You're listening to the Mix It Up podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the LGBTQ plus creatives of the global majority who work across arts, culture, and entertainment. Hosted by Joey Reyes. Get ready to mix it up. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Mix It Up podcast. My name is Joey Reyes. I am your host, and I am thrilled. We are we're at the halfway point, y'all. This is episode five of ten. It's been it feels like it's been a long time coming. All of this work has really taken place only over the last few months, but the idea has long existed, and I'm really happy to be at this point now, where. It's kind of in full swing and people are tuning in and reaching out and leaving their their comments and reviews and ratings on the podcast apps. I encourage you to continue to do that, to affect the algorithm and all that jazz. But yeah, I'm very excited for our special guest today, my, again, another dear friend, Sam Morreale. But before I introduce them, I do want to shout out two upcoming events that I really that I just like personally have a lot of love for folks who are involved in these events. I have a lot of uh, love for and I have a lot of passion for the work that they do. So the first the first thing I want to highlight is the Breaking the Binary Theater Festival. And if you're not familiar with with this festival, Breaking, well, it's a festival that is part of Breaking the Binary Theater which is a new work development and community building hub wherein transgender, non-binary, and two-spirit plus artists can come together to reclaim artistic license and liberty through a number of initiatives, which includes the yearly all TNB2S plus Breaking the Binary Theater Festival that happens each October. And that is happening very, very soon. The second annual festival is taking place this month, October. Oh, let's see if the website can load while I'm on Zoom, (laughs) y'all. So this year, uh, the Breaking the Binary Theater Festival is taking place October 23rd through the 29th, seven evenings of new work created by TNB2S plus artists for TNB2S plus artists at $3 bill and in the public theater's Shiva Theater. And it was just announced that folks like India Moore and Sara Ramirez are going to be involved in the festival, along with like a plethora of incredible artists, some of whom have been guests this season, including Dane Figueroa Edidi and our very own uh, guest for today's episode, Sam Morreale, who has been working as a cultural consultant on the festival as well. So shout out to George Struss, who is the founder and artistic director of the Breaking the Binary Theater Festival. George is an incredible artist and community builder and space maker. And I really hope that if you're in or around New York later this month that you attend, these readings are free, y'all. You do not have to pay tickets. Today, the the day that this episode drops, Friday, October 13th at 11 a.m. Eastern, tickets are now are available to reserve. So we will have the link to tickets in the show description of today's episode so that you can snag those up and go to all the readings and be in community and support this work and continue to uplift and amplify the work that George and their entire team are doing to continue to grow the Breaking the Binary Theater as well as the festival um, so it can continue to have an incredible large reach. The other organization I would like to highlight is the Arts Administrators of Color Network. They have their annual convening coming up November 11th and 12th here in my home of Chicago, Illinois. The theme for this year's convening is We Will Flourish, Building Our Table, Defining Our Legacy. And if you are not familiar with the Arts Administrators of Color Network... They were founded in 2016, and it is a service organization that focuses on networking and community building through the arts. They're advocates who continue to fight for equity in the arts through collaborations, forums, and outlets that provide a voice for arts administrators of and artists of color where they, there might not be one. So if you are going to be in or around Chicago in uh, November or would like to come to Chicago in November, I highly recommend coming to the annual convening. I have part- I have. Uh, I have attended convenings in the past, and it's always such a rich time. I love being in community with 
all these folks from around the country and building relationships and coalition and learning more about what uh, it was being done across the board. It's not just focused on theater. It is all it is theater. It is museums. It is art galleries. It is sort of across the board. Um, it's such a great network to be a part of. They also have a Facebook group if you're not familiar. But yes, if you're uh, especially if you are a current student, you know, see, look into if you if your program or school or department can sponsor your attendance. Registration has been open has been open now for a few weeks, and it looks like a lot of the pay what you can tickets and lower tier price tickets are sold out. So there are there are still tickets available, but they're in the higher price tiers. So. It does not hurt to ask to be sponsored if you are, you know, a student currently enrolled in an undergraduate program or even an employee at an institution. Like this is this is what it's all about, getting institutions to invest in the future of the field. That's kind of how I see it. So I hope to see you there. I will be there and continue to support the Arts Administrators of Color Network and encourage you all to join in on that and have a great time and make some new friends and build some new relationships and just have an overall great time. With that being said, oh, and I'll link the, the I will include the link to registration for the convening in the show description of this episode as well. So you can easily access that. Now, with that being said, I'd like to introduce today's guest, Sam Morreale, who currently serves as the associate producer at Soho Repertory Theater in New York City. With facilitation at the core of their practice, they've cultivated a flourishing career as a creative producer, collaborating with numerous companies, including Baltimore Center Stage, Long Wharf Theater, New York Stage and Film, Slash Powerhouse, The Prelude Festival, Mixed Blood Theater, Penumbra Theater, and Theater Communications Group. In addition to their production work, Sam has built a portfolio of consulting projects focusing on strategic planning, institutional alignment, and cultural change within arts organizations. They've worked with esteemed institutions such as Center Theatre Group, The New Harmony Project, Ars Nova, Boston Court Pasadena, Art New York, New Georges, and The Acting Company. Sam also actively nurtures their artistic pursuits in rehearsal rooms as a dramaturg, director, and culture shaper, consistently striving to bridge the gap between artists and institutions. They hold a BA from Wesleyan University, where they studied theater and science in society. And we're definitely going to be talking about their experience at Wesleyan University today. So sit back, relax, and we'll be right back with this week's guest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Mix It Up podcast. I'm so excited for you to be here with us today because I have another very special guest. All my guests are special, and this person is no exception. So please welcome to Mix It Up, Sam Morial. Morial, Moriali. I feel like Morial. I've <laughs> Moriali. Okay, great. Because yeah. I feel like I've said it both ways. And yeah. I... okay. It's like my white name, so I don't really care too much about it. Um, they, they <laughs> when they came through Ellis Island, like it's so chill. Um, but I'm so happy to have you, like to to be here for you to have me. It's such a treat, um, and I'm so glad to chat with you today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you for saying yes. Tell us where you are calling in from. I'm calling today from the land of the Napé people in what is known as Brooklyn, New York. Really grateful to be able to have the resources to join you um, from afar on this Zoom platform. Yeah, it's a good time. I live in Flatbush. Perfect. Work. Are you still in the same same apartment? So y'all, again, everyone I'm talking to this season are friends. So we <laughs> like our life paths have crossed over the years. Are you still in the same apartment that I stayed in with you that one time a couple years that ago <laughs> uh, that was a really great time so i'll have you in my apartment anytime that you want you always have a home with me um <laughs> but no i live somewhere new a lovely bigger space it's great we downsized from a four bedroom to a three bedroom i okay. still live with lesbians so my life is still good um, <laughs> but we like down downsized but upgraded is what i'll say sure yeah. awesome Amazing. And speaking of us knowing each other, so we were giggling about this before I pushed record. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how and when are we even like 
came to know each other because I want I want to say that I knew of you before we even met. Like because I started to see I started to see your your photos circulate on a lot of like around like a lot of conversations. And I think in relationship to the theater communications group, like panels or thrives weeks or that sort of stuff. And I, and I, so I think at the time you were working with them pretty consistently. And then I don't know, maybe at some point we got on a panel together or maybe you reached out to me to be (laughs) on something and that's how we officially met, but we definitely met, during you know like pandemic times like lockdown era i want to say because we didn't actually meet each other in person until it got safer to like be around folks yeah i think it was like i'm i also yeah again i also can't really remember the exacts of how we met but i feel like most not like most but many queer relationships it's also like i think we were just mutuals for a while before we knew each Mm -hmm. other like i definitely was following you and like just reacting to like your stories and things like that <laughs> like, before we had met. And I don't even know. I don't like, we didn't, I don't think we met in person until you came and stayed with me. Yeah. Um, until then it was just like, we had, you know, we had similar paths in an industry that very few of us exist in. Um, <laughs> and also I think that the other reason was like at the time with TCG, I was making, I think like a lot of like content for like younger like emerging theater makers. And so your name was coming up a lot, but we'd worked at like similar regional theaters. I think like regional theaters where the leaders were also like besties. And so I think it was like, it was also like a a, a little bit of a staff of like parallel staff experience, you know? Oh yes, I think, yeah, that's correct. And then, and, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more in terms of like where we were, we well, where were you were working that, that sort of like crossed over. But yes, that makes sense. How 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 very what I guess millennial slash Gen Z of us. I think we're maybe yeah. on the cusp of that of the generations. Yeah, I like to identify as a Gen Zennial personally. Okay, uh, <laughs> a lot of like Gen Z behavior with a lot of millennial attitude. You know. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I feel very similar. Yeah, because I think let's see, I just turned um, I just turned twenty nine, and you're you're twenty six, twenty seven. Am I right? Twenty six. You're turning twenty six. Oh my gosh, you're younger than I than I remember <laughs> <laughs> i'm baby i'm baby yeah okay yeah yeah yeah. so yeah that makes sense i mean you know and i feel like i feel like a lot of the folks that i've i've especially over the last you know few years when we started to like really you know lean on digital connection yeah a lot of the a lot of the folks who i'm like close to nowadays um or really good friends with i we were like internet friends first yeah. <laughs> so wild which isn't completely brand new. I mean, like people were doing this meeting friends over Tumblr like 10 years ago now. So, but I feel like people know, <laughs> I mean, it was definitely a generational thing. I know like a lot of folks older than us who are like, you can't quite like make a real relationship online. And I'm like, no, I was like, you know, like really getting to know people, getting to know community, finding myself, um, finding support networks. And of course, like during the pand, like this ongoing pandemic, but when mm-hmm. we were in isolation, it was the only way to connect really. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I was really intentional about like where I was putting my energy, you know, and how how I was interacting with people online, because it was also like the only way to interact with people. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, so you, you we kind of started to like regress a little bit in terms of the, the <laughs> of like time traveling. I mentioned Tumblr oh, and, and 2013. So I want to go even further, even more in time <laughs> and ask you um, pretty <laughs> well. Um, <laughs> Pretty simply, where do you come from? You know, I want you to kind of interpret that in whatever way you, you want to respond. Oh, that's so funny. It reminds me, you're, the where I come from, it reminds me of this exercise I do in some of my consulting work. There's this poem. My God, who made it? Can I Google that right now? Is that a horrible thing to do while I'm being recorded on a podcast? <laughs> it's called Where I'm From. Uh, oh, it's George Lyon. Okay. That's what I thought it was. George L. Lyon, where I'm from. I do this sometimes as like an icebreaker. It's this beautiful poem where he like describes where he's from and like in the materials of the places that he's been and the things that have shaped him, mm-hmm. uh, which is my invitation to do that right now. <laughs> I'm inviting, I'm facilitating my own. Where I, <laughs> I would say that I'm from a lot of really bullheaded women very stubborn um but also very joyous and loving and compassionate and kind 
and also mean like lots of gentle bullying i come from gentle bullying for sure my family is from trinidad and tobago and i think that i um really resonate with roots beyond the states Mm -hmm. i'm first gen on my mom's side and i'm half white um my dad is a a white mutt guy from germany from italy i don't know them much (laughs) but i also resonate with like there's an immigrant narrative there too Mm mm-hmm but it's it's there my family chose to settle down in upstate new york well fake upstate like what new yorkers would call it like new yorker city people would call upstate but i'm <laughs> all like not even mid-state um i'm from poughkeepsie and it's like this like small it's a small city small city suburbs you know i come from mm-hmm. a big, like big backyard from a house of i grew up in a house of 14 people i come from no privacy oh. rubbing elbows no you don't get the bathroom to yourself I didn't have my own room till college. I come from both like younger and middle child syndrome because mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of my direct lineage till my d- dad had half children. Well, he had whole children. They're my half siblings. I should have. Like they're not half children. They're doing great. Um, <laughs> they are white, which is a really odd experience. Like having <laughs> white siblings instead of male siblings. Um, so I come from whatever that mess is. But I also grew up in a house with all of my extended family. So in in my cousin's lineage, I am middle child mm-hmm. uh, or one of a few middle children. Yeah, I think that's a lot. That's a lot of where I'm from. A lot of mess, you know, I come from a <laughs> lot. Of mess. I come from a lot of mess and trying to like organize and sort myself. I come from being the only earth sign. <laughs> <laughs> I was whole family. <laughs> I was about to say the way that you just you just described you come from a mess of like having to organize and I was about to just be like your Virgo is showing. (laughs) (laughs) Birthday's coming up everybody. Um, (laughs) Yes my Virgo is always showing. I love her. I come from I definitely come from being a Virgo. Pisces rising Aquarius moon okay we're balanced we're doing great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For the world and we know how to get like make magic happen. Yeah. But yeah, I did later in life when I got into astrology, look back at my whole family and figure out all of their signs. And I'm the only earth sign. Everybody else is like a like big air dominated, big fire dominated, uh-huh. a few sprinklings of water. And I'm the only grounding force. <laughs> I feel it for sure. I yeah. feel it every day. <laughs> Where, so where, and, you know, and and you, you like grew up in Poughkeepsie, like there wasn't really any moving around until you got to college. Is that correct? Kind of. I mean, it's like, that's, it's questionable. I grew up pretty, not pretty. I grew up poor. I grew up like in a really, my mom really struggled a lot um, mm. as I was growing up. And so I was like in and out of the home of my extended family, like many a child in the American the colonial Americas, the, I don't know what I'm trying to say right now. Um, I'm trying to sound really snazzy for some reason. I think it's just because we're on a podcast. I feel like I have to sound <laughs> like quippy and smart. Like many people, my parents are divorced. They divorced when I was young. So there was also like custody battle abound. So I I bounced a lot from home to mm-hmm. home. There was a period of like houselessness in my youth. And I grew up really in like the, the area that I'm in. It's like, you know, like there's I don't know, borders don't exist. So Poughkeepsie, there's Poughkeepsie, but then there's also like the, the city of Poughkeepsie and the town of Poughkeepsie. And then okay. there's the park, which is like, and they kind of all just bleed into each other, you know? Um, I see, okay. And so I moved a ton in that area, but I did grow up. Mm-hmm. And after that, I went to school, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, I understand sort of like, when people ask me where I'm from, I just say Southern California. I don't really know what to say because even one of the cities where I spent most of my childhood growing up, I don't really feel connected to in that way anymore because I also moved around so much. But it was still generally between like the city of Los Angeles and the city of Palm Springs. But it, we, it, you know, so it's like, yeah, and my attachment, my my, I don't have like the that one attachment to like one one particular city. So I have like I have you know, like an attachment to like the lifestyle. I feel like I have a deep nostalgia for like the slowness mm-hmm. and like the the general speed and and the ability to do nothing. Sometimes it scares me. <laughs> like I go home and I just do actually nothing in uh-huh. upstate New York. Like I go home and I sit on the couch and I like watch 
movies with my mom and my brother and like bother my brother and he bothers me or we'll play video games, you know, but we're not going anywhere. Like if you go anywhere, I'm sure. going to like the mall. Whereas like in New York, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like a night in is like a, a treat and a treasure, you know? I'm like, oh my God, I get to be home <laughs> and do nothing. But it feels so like, like I'm living this life now, like being everywhere, which is a, also its own kind of joy and treasure. But I have a nostalgia for, for that speed, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then, of course, you go off to school, which is Wesleyan University, right? Uh, disgusting. Why would you say that? <laughs> well, it's okay. We're going to take a quick <laughs> break so you can collect yourself. And then we're going to actually dig a little bit more into that. Okay. All right. So we'll be right back. I'm scared. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We're here with our guest, Sam Morreale. And and we were just about to, right where we left off was you heading off to college to get your undergraduate degree. Yeah, we were about to Uh, unpack my deepest traumas. (laughs) (laughs) You can go as deep as you want to go, as you wish. (laughs) It can be as shallow or as deep as you'd like. Yeah, what, what, tell me. Tell, tell me a little bit about your experience at Wesleyan University. Oh, it was an experience for sure. I don't actually mean to knock it or call it my deepest trauma because that's also untrue. It's as traumatizing as any predominantly white space, but it was not the most traumatizing place I've ever been or thing I've experienced. But it was a lot. It's in Middletown, Connecticut. And I do, if I'm cheesy for like one moment and serious and earnest, like... I have a lot of gratitude for Wesleyan because it turned me into the person that I am today. And I love me today. (laughs) Mm -hmm. On top of that, sometimes I like to imagine all the parallel universes that exist, like the different me's that are out there. And I think that I'm living like in one of the universes where I'm like one of the best versions of me for sure. Like Mm -hmm. I'm great. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate the like I appreciate the thinker and mover and doer that Wesleyan made me, and how how much the environment of my college experience allowed me to explore myself. Like I think that that is truly a gift of it is a gift that you can receive if higher education is a path that you choose. I think there's lots of ways to find yourself in the world, but it was definitely the way that I needed to find myself, and I. You know, I went in as a pre-med student. I fully, I went in like, oh wow, it's a little stereotypical like immigrant child story. But like, I went, I went to school. Like, I was, I really wanted to go get away from upstate New York to go to school to study and be a doctor and like help people in that way. Mm-hmm. And I found out that I hated that at Wesleyan, which was great because <laughs> if I was a doctor, I think I would be really sad. Uh-huh. there was a parallel version of me that definitely did not get that message um and is really sad right now for sure i found theater at wesleyan which was like jarring how did you how so like like many of us it sounds like you kind of fell into it and fell into into like the art making space the storytelling space so what what about it what about it hooked you in or drew you in and then like hooked you to the point where you realize oh this is what i want to spend spend a lot of my time doing i think that the first thing that i feel like i'm remembering the time we met <laughs> uh, <I think laughs> the first thing that hooked me i mean i'd always been i'd always been interested in theater in some way like when i first got introduced to it i did my high school did have like we did like the fall drama and spring musical um, mm-hmm. i didn't do a lot of extracurriculars because i was very shy and also had a traumatizing stepmother but I kind of started in my like latter years when I was mm-hmm. in high school, but kind of, but, but through choir instead. So I was doing like musicals, my music, like my, mm-hmm. so my choir teacher, shout out to Miss Martin, love her, was also the musical theater director. And she mm-hmm. was like, you should audition. And so I kind of got, got into and got a vocabulary for theater then, but I never saw it as like a profession or, or even really a hobby. I kind of don't know what I thought. It was. Um, And then when I got to Wesleyan, because of the open curriculum, I had an option to take like lots of different types of electives. And I decided to take a performance studies class. And it was because I really loved reading plays even in high school. So I was like, Mm -hmm. well, I have to take like intro, but like I have to do all these like first pre-med, like I was taking intro bio, intro chem, 
I was thinking, I thought I was going to, I took multivariable calculus, bitch, and I did not, I was, oh my God. why am I taking this class? And so my fun class, my first semester was this seminar where we read plays and we wrote like critical analysis. And I learned, I also like learned critical theory. I learned to write mm. and just like engage with this medium that like just felt so juicy. Like there were so many different kinds of realities in on the page and luckily Wesleyan is also a place that has probably it's like over-resourced truly and has the resources for students to also be able to like put on their own productions and like mm-hmm. do a lot of extracurricular art making generally not just in theater but like in music dance visual art and students really took advantage of that when I was there it was like I don't know I was also tour guide <laughs> but it was like the longest or the second longest running like student run theater program was at Wesleyan mm. called Second Stage. And we produced 12 shows a semester, which is insane. Oh my God. About, like 13 weeks <laughs> in a semester. And so there was like always theater to watch and witness. And I saw students mm-hmm. doing it. And I was like, and because I loved the theory, I loved like the page. I loved what I learned in a classroom. I was like, maybe I should try like doing this. And so I joined eventually in my time there, I joined like, the producing entity, like the producing core, we called ourselves staff, which was ridiculous. Not getting paid. It was all free labor. Um, <laughs> but I joined the staff and was then, you know, one of the producers. Yeah, that's how I fell into it, found it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so from there, so you, you, you know, and kind of what I've also like talked about with some other folks too, like producing is a very broad title term profession yeah nobody knows what it is. <laughs> and one that can be dif- can be difficult to explain especially when you start getting into the different kinds of producers you hear the term creative producer you hear artistic producer you hear line producer associate producer executive producer like it's all very muddled but i think ultimately at least at least for me in the way that i like to define producing it's that it's essentially you know and that and i i believe that there is an art to it and that in it in itself is an art form. So I do consider it like the art of gathering, which I'm not like coined in, in any way. I've just directly pulled that. F- it's the title of a book by Priya Parker. Um, <laughs> I was I, literally about to, I was about to call you <laughs> Priya Parker. I was like, oh, we out here quoting this Parker. But actually, like it just when I was reading through that, it just like it all like made sense to me, you know. And I and I think I think as you know, in this case, like folks who work in theater or have worked in theater but in general artists creatives storytellers that yeah we're we're there to like create something but i think at the end of the day what we're ultimately doing without without it being like at the forefront of our mind because it's sort of like just ingrained in us as people is gathering is like community making space making because what are we doing if not like making something for other people to consume and to like be in community. Yeah. So I, you know, you, it sounds like you were really cutting your teeth. I mean, 12 shows a semester, a semester is what 15 weeks. So there's something happening like every like seven to 10 days. It sounds like that's insane. Oh, we're turning over a theater every <laughs> single week, bitch. Do you know the number of nights? Do you know number of Saturday nights that I spent striking some silly college students show I hear that <laughs> um like oh my god my ass it was ridiculous <laughs> absolutely some, well like, i mean i imagine that also it wasn't even like not only was it like some college kid it was like all these like prissy white like privileged kids mm. who wrote silly silly plays uh, <laughs> or directed like a classic adaptation and I'm like get out of here please go away <laughs> I mean to be fair I don't know how many if any how many places there are in or around Wesleyan University for you to shake your ass <laughs> listen the <students laughs> color on that campus know what's up is what I will say okay mm, work okay when you cool. are faced with the challenge of existing in such monstrosity of a historically white space Mm-hmm. You find your people, okay? You find your people, yeah. and you shake ass in their homes. <laughs> <laughs> Work. True that. True that. Okay. Yeah. So. So. Okay. You. You go through that experience. Yeah. You. You graduate. You. Your class of what? Class of 20, 2018. 19. Yes. Okay. Nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. 
And you're in New York now, but before going to New York, you were actually down in Baltimore. Is that correct? Post-grad? Yeah. First, I actually ended up back home, which was insane. I like okay. my first, well, I had internships in Minneapolis. Shout out to the Minneapolis theater community. Y'all are amazing. I love those theaters. And I actually think that they're doing some of the best work, mm-hmm. community work. In, especially in the whole U.S. theater industry. Um, mm. But my first post-grad gig was at Powerhouse in New York Station Film, which is based in Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know about it, didn't know it existed, didn't know it was in my hometown at all. And so I got to live at home for my first summer out, which was really crazy and not necessarily desirable, but definitely a nice and soft entrance into the real world as I was also figuring mm-hmm. out where it was right for me. That immediately I went to, like after that summer, I went to Baltimore. Yeah, I worked at Baltimore Center Stage. I had a cute little fellowship in the artistic department. Mm-hmm. Worked with some amazing leaders in this industry. Some people who are still, I like, I love to still follow that organization because mm-hmm. I joined in the transition of leadership to Stephanie Barra, who shout out, named me as a producer like she gave me that vocabulary and helped me realize that how I was spending my undergraduate experience and what I kept talking about like the space making that I wanted to do was in fact producing so it's mm-hmm. a joy to be able to like go and support her and the rest of her team who had all really just like begun their their roles there and were shaping this whole like new model inside of that regional theater landscape and the bubble and like entity that was Baltimore center stage. And I feel like some of the seeds that like we talked about are now like really beginning to grow. Like I'm seeing it now. I don't know how many years later now it is three years later, Mm -hmm. really grow and blossom. And it's so exciting to me, but yeah, that's where I was first. And then I, after that went to TCG, moved to New York and then a panini press happened. (laughs) and that yes that happened but you you were able to stay in new york is that correct like in in new york city yeah i like took a page out of stephanie's book actually i was like i think strategically as sad as it makes me the industry is so oriented to new york that i need to at some point make a community here that can advocate for me Mm -hmm. but if it's not my end goal I need to know the folks, the artists, the administrators, the makers, the cultural, the cultural hub, because even like when you're outside of New York, everybody's talking about the theater landscape there, which is scary. So I took the job at TCG pretty strategically to be like, to also like support myself. Like they actually paid, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was like, oh, okay. I could actually like grow roots here and afford to live in an apartment and pay my own rent. Cause it's hard. Entering this field is hard. Like yeah. New York Station Film gave me housing and paid me on the powerhouse side, but the New York Station Film side at the time was not paying enough, like a living wage, like not enough for you to like rent. And then Baltimore Center Stage, like that was a that was a fellowship opportunity, and they housed me, which was great. I think I got like a I like I want to say like two hundred and fifty dollar, but it might have been a hundred and fifty. But I'm gonna give them the benefit of two hundred and fifty dollar a week grocery store which is also not enough to live and so I was desperate for like anybody who would give me a job (laughs) Uh, but like a job that would like move me forward but also like Mm -hmm. sustain me and it was really weird I I still think it's very weird like I constantly think about the pathways to entry into this field for anyone for artists for administrators yeah like on on any side of the coin that you want to create like how are, how people are able to like sustain themselves if they don't have inherited wealth. And it's pretty damn impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I moved to New York when I got that opportunity to support myself. Yeah. And as you mentioned, that's around the time when COVID-19 really began to to strike and shut everything down and i want to i want to talk a little bit more about like what then what what opportunities started to come come out of that experience so we're going to take a quick break so we'll be we'll be right back hello everyone welcome back (laughs) to the podcast i'll just have a slight Almost technical malfunction, but we are all set. Yes, so we are here with our guest this week, Sam Moriali, and we have just gotten to the point where where everyone's everyone's story ends up at at some point is 
the COVID-19 pandemic. Is everybody talking um, about it? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it comes up. It, it's naturally coming up. I'm not like prompting folks, but you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's still fairly trauma or something that we're recovering from. <laughs> yes, very much so. So in, in your case, you were working with the theater communications group at the time. And for anyone who who may be listening, who is not as familiar with TCG, would you mind giving a little background about what it, what, who they are and what they do? Yeah, totally. TCG is the theater communications group. They are a national service organization for the theater community. They recently, I believe, updated their mission to be in support of a, and, and to help nourish a just and thriving theater ecology, which is mm-hmm. language that really ooh, nourishes, like it's juicy. Yeah. And I believe in that for them. And they are, I, they're really like one of the only, you know, there, there are niche service organizations for theater. Like there's a network of ensemble theaters, mm-hmm. ensemble theater communities. There are service organizations that are like, like Art New York that is like specific to our region. TCG is one of the only national ones and they, you know, support uh, national convening now biannually to bring together theater leaders and thinkers and artists to critically engage in the work that we do, which I appreciate when it's successful. When it's successful, absolutely. And you're not unfamiliar to being able to critique a lot of that, a lot of that work, um, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why I love <laughs> you so much. <laughs> so yeah, so talk talk to me a little bit about like the work that you were engaging in with them, because I again, this is you know we I re- we referenced this earlier, but I think this is the point where you and I really started to cross paths and get to know each other and and be in similar similar spaces with each other because we were focusing a lot especially because i think at that time too or just before really like the, within the 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 few couple of years leading up to the pandemic the the field itself sees a shift where there's you're starting to see more people of the global majority leading institutions and entering executive leadership positions specifically in theater and so then a lot of uh, there there starts to have we there starts to be space made for more nuanced conversations around what the future of the field can look like and that also with with a lot of the work that you were doing with TCG included bringing in younger voices like under 30 voices into the space. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I can. Oh my God, there's like, oh, there's so much there. Um, is, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a, it's really insane to think about where we, and I, I feel like I have to thank you for this opportunity even to reflect. I'm like realizing how lucky I feel and how like right place, like you look back at life and I'm like, oh my God, right place, right time in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of how I followed my gut and, and was able to show up. Because also... Yeah. Oh my God. I don't even know where I want to begin. It was really tough. Everything's really tough. I think the landscape pre-pandemic entering the field, like it's, it's, it's so hard Uh, Mm -hmm. in general. I think it's hard for anybody to be entering the field, but it is especially hard, I think, for anybody from a marginal community. Cause like we're a hot commodity, but also like the opportunities are slim. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I remember scouring cause I, I also was like, I'm not picky. Whoever can, help me sustain myself is where I'm going to go. Like, I don't care if I move across the country. Like, I'll do it. I'll go to that. So I was looking nationwide for positions that could take me. And there were so few. And the only options were these, like, like I, the only option for like an entry-level person in an artistic department were these fellowships that like most of them didn't pay you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some of them housed you. Very Mm -hmm. few offered both of those things. So I was just like, how am I supposed to like pick myself up, work 40 hours a week somewhere, which ultimately would have been more than 40 hours if you're working Mm -hmm. as a producer or anybody in an artistic department. And I'm supposed to have another job on top of that, right? So I feel like I, I entered the landscape really desperate to like find my footing and believing that producing was also like a path. You know, I, I am also an art, like I, Producing is artistry, but I also chose producing because I thought it was sustainable. Like I thought that going into admin was going to be like the more sustainable option than like following my passion for directing or following my passion for dramaturgy, right? Um, I was like Mm -hmm. avoiding a freelance career at all costs only to enter a gig economy. Um, And I didn't (laughs) realize that was happening. And so even when I got the job at TCG, it was a seasonal gig. And my next lined up gig was position at Williamstown. 
I probably be careful about like naming names and all these things, but I do think it's important to be transparent. And also I'm like not here to promote any sort of institution that has toxic behavior, nor do I believe in institutions that can't take criticism either. Um, I think yeah, we got to exist. We got to be able to, to we, or, or we all have fortitude. We have to be able to like, oh yeah, hearing this from one another. If I haven't already said this too, for the listeners at, at any point, I'll say it here very clearly now that, that we here at Mix It Up believe in being critical lovers of our institutions. Period. I'll say that. Yes, I love that. I want, I'm always, I am always, a, see, that's my thing. I'm a critical lover of this institution, these institutions. They can do better, I believe. And, and the question is how, when, when will we, when will we shape change? Quote Miss Butler. Yes. So I had other gigs lined up and was trying to figure out how to sustain myself and like take the deep dive into like the unknown, like not knowing what job was next, but like trusting that I'd be able to hustle. And I was really sad though, because I felt like, even even like applying to Williamstown felt bad. Like I knew that I, as a human of color, as a queer person, as a trans person was going to have to compromise my identity and my morals to work there <laughs> because there was no, like the, the way that they had their labor structure at the time was like mm-hmm. so inequitable. It's still like, is so inequitable. It's like you're thriving off of labor from people who are paying to be there instead of being paid to do your work. Without them, the productions themselves literally couldn't happen. People there are, some people there are getting paid great money. And then mm-hmm. even as a staff member, like I was going to be the line producer there. And I think that they they gave me housing. I still had to pay the rent. Like I still had to pay, pay money for that housing. And I think mm-hmm. that it was about a hundred dollar difference between what they were going to charge me for housing and the amount of money that I was going to make for a week. And so it was like, I was going to do it because it was the only option. So I was getting really angry and TCG got that job. It was, and it was definitely a strategy of like, I'm going to be able to meet people through this job. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic happened. And so everything shifted and it was this opportunity for me to like, I, I was helping the whole conference team figure out and learn how you make a virtual event happen. Obviously people have been doing this. There were t- plenty of people that we could have learned from, but so many of us instead at the beginning of the pandemic, at the beginning of figuring out how to put on a virtual event, we're like, guess we have to figure it out ourselves. <laughs> And so we did. And I feel really proud of what we made and the spaces that we made and the conversations that we were able to have at that time. And I feel really grateful that like it literally put me like I I was just in a position where I could interface and ask critical questions. And one of the things it feels so insidious. I was like naming over and over the reality, the 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 reality that was in front of me, which is that my contract at TCG was ending in June and I did not have a job and what was going mm-hmm. to happen, like who was going to support me. And I know that there's mm-hmm. a pandemic, but what, like, what is going to happen to, because I kept getting a ton, a ton in all the rooms that I was in. Anytime I would engage with somebody, people were like, oh my God, you're amazing. Like, I love your ideas. It's so good to hear your thought. Like, uh, like, like just applauding me, which well, it felt really good. Like I was like, mm-hmm. like you know, it, it feels really humbling to have your, like, humbling and ego boosting simultaneously. I'm like, just to have your ideas heard (laughs) and for people to trust you and listen to you and be interested in what you have to say in that way. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then it was like, but where's the job y'all? Like, yeah. Like what is like, I, I'm pretty sure I said, cause I don't like to, you know, I'm going to be real about where I've been and where I come from. Like, Mm-hmm. been houseless I'm like what is going to happen is I'm going to have to leave this place I'm going to have to go back to Poughkeepsie New York where there is New York stage of film which is great but it's a summer thing you know it's not mm-hmm. and it's also at that time it was an all-white style I was like where where am I going mm-hmm. how are how is this industry keeping the goodness that is me and not finding a lot of finding a lot of response so this is such a long-winded way of saying that when I got to do the program that you're you're talking about, I had pivoted and proved to myself that I could freelance. I built my own facilitation practice with a lot of guidance and a lot of help. Shout out to all of the people that have guided me and given me work in that way. I proved to myself that I could actually make money through consulting and through freelancing and it didn't have to be scary, but it was definitely tiring. And so I was just getting getting different kinds of gigs. I was line producing events. I was doing just like general event management. And I was doing strategic planning and anti-racist work with lots of different communities. Mm-hmm. And so TCG invited me back the next year to support the curation of the conference again. 
not the curation. It was, they, they invited me back to help support the producing of the conference again. Mm-hmm. That turned into producing specific programming, which we called The Inheritors. Shout out to Anne Charlone and Sarah Michiko Haber, who were also co-curators of that space and who were staff members at TCG and great advocates for me to come back and join them in this effort. But we... I was doing just general producing work with them for the conference. And then we were in charge of curating this portion of a day of a conference for theater makers under 30 to discuss what we needed, where we were going, what was happening, the big questions that we had. And I think the thing that I crave, if I could do it again, is like how there is intergenerational leaders of color, but like what are the intergenerational spaces where we're also like taking each other seriously? You know, I still think like, People look at me and they see 25 (laughs) and I'm like, no, I am the inheritor of like that institution over there. Like, how can you help me Mm -hmm. now? How can you help me now to be Mm -hmm. the future artistic leader that this field needs me to be, that you need to meet me to be, that artists need me to be? And how can you help me make space for other people like me? You know, all of that. And I feel like there are so few spaces where we're having that conversation. Yeah. And it was a gift to be able to do that. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that. As we're, you know, you know, our time is limited here and I want to be respectful of the time. You're already gifting me some extra time. So I appreciate that. But I do want to, I don't want to, you know, I want to be able to like to, to kind of wind down a little bit here and sort of close out with some sense of closure. So I think, I think, you know, you, you've led me, you led me to start thinking about like, what are the conversations that really need to happen right now? Because, and and I'm sure the listeners are probably going to be tired of hearing me say this, but there's been a lot of um, uh, think pieces, op-eds that have been coming out recently, which I have, which I have been calling to myself white noise uh, <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> the voices of those pieces t- have been a little homogenized yeah. and very dooms based, you know, but like with a breath of fresh air, you know, um, the incredible Annalisa Diaz comes with her, her piece talking about decomposition and, you know, using that like ecological terminology, kind of what you were referencing earlier too. So I'm curious to hear from you as the brilliant artist that you are and the like the orator that you are as well because I, I see you as a very gifted orator I've been facilitated by you Sam you uh, <laughs> you know what you're doing that's really uh, it's so funny because <laughs> in this whole podcast I'm like I'm rambling so much shut up oh <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah like what do you what do you think are the crucial conversations that we should be having in this moment yeah. as you know being given this platform and what 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 can we be reinforcing as folks who do practice alternative models of storytelling for the future of creation and art making. Oh, uh, you you hit, hit me with a big one. Yeah, I'm finding myself mad about. <laughs> I feel like I didn't I didn't spend time talking about the things that are like really bringing joy and like where where my life is now, which is so much better than where it was. I love. You can highlight those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I will. <laughs> no, just because I love, I mean, it's actually connected. I think that, okay, all things. In terms of white noise, <laughs> I do, I don't know if you've read it, but I do really want to plug if people haven't read it. It is definitely in some ways white noise because she's white, but I do still love her. Not all white people. <laughs> um, I know what you're talking about already. <laughs> amazing. Perfect. But Kate McGee, who is an amazing lighting designer, trans-identified artist, and was project number one artist on staff at Soho Rep, where I currently work, as you all know, because you read my bio earlier. That was so, so lovely of you. Thank you. And where I love to work, I love I love Soho Rep. I really do. I think that it's like, I've had such admiration for it for a really long time. It was amazing to get this job. And it's only, it's been like, you know, I'm over my honeymoon phase of like, I've been there for almost two years. <laughs> I, there was a while where I definitely had rose colored glasses on that said they're off now. There's a lot, there's a lot to do. There's a lot shifting. We have two new amazing leaders joining us Mm -hmm. and we have just lost two other leaders who are going and and doing their own work and continuing the field. So changing times, but exciting because of that. It's exciting to be this institution that through all of that is like 
dedicated to the work that we make and dedicated to artists in the way that we're dedicated to artists. One of those mm-hmm. folks being Kate McGee, who released this list mm-hmm. changes that the American theater should undergo, influenced a bit by her time at Soho Rep. And it was amazing to read it. And I was just like, I want more. Like, that's when you ask this question, I'm like, that's what I want. I want, like, I know that's a little bit white noise op-ed that, like, that it should be questioned. At any time somebody's like, my opinion deserves to be on the internet, I'm like, that's really bold of you. <laughs> for the people who are who whose opinions actually should be like I'm like Kate it was great to read this and yeah how critical it was and and also seeing it frankly like see an example of a white person who's like I didn't get all of this from like like it wasn't all my ideas like these ideas came from somewhere mm-hmm. and like it was great just to see somebody actually recognize that reality as well the 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 biggest premise to me of that list whether or not anything on there is feasible Kate's like these are literal actions that I could take right now. And I think the thing since I started in this industry that bothers me so much is like, is the desire to hold on to the institution so much that it is harming the individuals that it makes up and the individuals that it serves. Yes, institutions have to exist, obviously, in order to serve the people that they serve. They have to have, like, have to be able to, like, exist in time and space and and hopefully be healthy and sustain, like, be sustainable in order to do that. But I don't know if that sustenance is, like, worth it if there's so much harm. You know, I'm like, you should be able to, like, make a make that risky choice, pivot, like, try it, try it, and then, like, try again and try again. It's probably just because I'm also reading, I'm reading Parable of the Talents right now. I just finished Parable of the Sower, mm. both by Octavia Butler. Amazing. But for those who don't know, amazing sci-fi goddess. But she has like this whole religion that she cre- like has been created in these books. Um, mm-hmm. And the tagline of it is goddess change. And I find, I'm finding myself like loving to read this like book even though it's scary and about, about the end of the world but because <laughs> it's because of its dedication to action mm-hmm. because action like choosing to act is an act of change it's an opportunity to change like every moment is an, an opportunity to change and i i crave spaces like i want to see us continue to be malleable and responsive mm-hmm. and proactive and reactive to the needs of the community around us am i orating well enough <laughs> yes yes that's beautiful well, thank you. answered your question <laughs> i think that's <laughs> what i want of the field is really <laughs> at the end of the day like a willingness to like show up for each other and mean it because yeah places yeah don't i think that like my biggest lesson in my time at soho rep has truly been like as much as i want to make space for brilliant stories more than that <laughs> More than a brilliant story, I want to make sure that like writers are getting paid enough mm-hmm. to like to 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 pay their rent, you know, mm-hmm. to get groceries, <laughs> have mm-hmm. a roof over their heads, to have a bed and a pillow to go to. And I think that in under like maybe it's part of what makes capitalism function, but we dehumanize each other so much that I think we forget that this pivotal resource, this fiscal resource, literally translates. To physical realities and mm-hmm. it's crazy to me that any producer is producing and not paying people to do actual labor i'm like that that art art under capitalism is labor and people need to be paid for it mm-hmm. i just want to see an industry where people are actually able to survive and thrive off of the work that they're doing and right now they cannot and so we need some some restructuring to make that happen and cutting a show from your season is not gonna cutting a show from your season and not paying them more not gonna do that adding another million dollars to the ceo's <laughs> salary not gonna do that you know it's a little yeah. obvious that's the other thing about kate's Substack. i'm just like there's some obvious points people <laughs> yes that's it <laughs> thank you well that's yep that's it <laughs> oh my gosh sam thank you so much for joining me and for taking this time to to chat with me really i really do appreciate it um and it's always a gift to be able to have a conversation with you so thank, thank you. you for this gift i appreciate the time and i'm so excited <laughs> i don't know what episode i'm on but i'm so excited for the rest of you coming <laughs> <laughs> yes stay tuned everyone there's gonna be plenty more this season And we are going to take a break and we'll be right back. Mm
Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We have just completed our interview with Sam Moriali, and I am thrilled that they really touched on this point this week, talking about barriers to entry for young folks into the industry. I've I've been at this for a little while now. I graduated from undergrad in 2016. And upon my own personal reflection, there have been improvements made over the last few years. I would say leading up to from when I graduated and leading up to 2020. And of course, COVID-19 really sort of aggravated the arts and culture sector in such a way and shook it up in such a way that has disrupted a lot of programs and opportunities that were presented to us previously. With that being said, yeah, I would I imagine now that the barriers to entry are even greater to when even just a few years ago when I was entering the field of theater in particular, you know, and I, you know, I'm very hopeful that as arts and cultural institutions move forward, they can reevaluate the way that they build their budgets and alongside making alterations to programming and staffing and whatnot are also seeing mentorship opportunities or professional development programs as an opportunity to invest in the future of not just the institution, but the field that they represent. Because it's, I think it's incredibly crucial that folks who have a passion and a drive to be entering the field and really care about the arts and culture in their communities around the world, around the country, are given the opportunity to learn from the folks who have been at this for quite some time. And I think it's just as equally valuable for those folks who are in positions of power to also have the opportunity to learn from the young folks and folks who are, you know, fresh out of school, are full of energy and are ready to go and wanting to have their make their voices heard and contribute to something that they love just as much as as the leaders do. So I really I really hope that I'm hopeful that the attitudes and as far as investing in professional development opportunities are are shifting. So it's not just, you know, not just some unpaid internship where you have a 21, 22 year old going out and picking up coffee and making copies and, you know, the same old, same old bull crap of what an internship potentially used to look like some time ago. Um, and there's, there's an actual investment in relationship building there, because I think that's how we're going to be able to continue to sustain ourselves in the way that that the eco- the ecology of our fields are shifting. So I'm really grateful for Sam for bringing that point up and also talking about, I, they sort of referenced something that that was spoken about two episodes ago with our guest Rio Alberto in terms of this similar concept of not necessarily downsizing with programming, but right-sizing for an organization. A lot of shifts have had to be made in the last few years, and that has included the elimination of programs at some places completely. There are theaters that have completely eliminated whole seasons and whatnot, which is devastating and just just frustrating to see. However, in the case of Perseverance Theater, I'll use as the example since we talked about that two weeks ago, they have made adjustments. So instead of maybe doing six shows in their season, they're now doing three and they're able to pay folks appropriately and still also honor human capacity while also honoring artistic capacity and being able to give the love, care, and attention that is needed when investing a lot of time in telling telling human stories and being able to share that with their with their surrounding communities as well. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to talk with Sam about this and just hear from them and learn about more about their brilliance and where they come from. And I really hope that you also have the opportunity to connect with Sam if you haven't already. Links to be able to do that will also be dropped into the description of this episode and continue to build relationships and make beautiful, make beautiful art together. That's all for this week. That's all I have for you this week. I'm looking forward to the rest of the this season. We have five more guests in store, which is wild. <laughs> it feels like so many producing 10 whole episodes, self-producing 10 whole episodes of a podcast. But it, it, like I've mentioned before, it's a labor of love. And I really am invested in getting these folks' voices out into the world and hopefully inspiring you all to continue to do 
to continue to make change and and feel that there is community out there that 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 you can reach out to and that you can connect with. So until next week, thank you all again for listening to the Mix of the Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mix of the Podcast. Feel free to support us further by commenting, rating, or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You may also follow us on Instagram at at Mix It Up Pod. Mix It Up is produced, hosted, and edited by Joey Reyes. If you enjoy our music, please check out DJ and new media artist Professor Rex on Instagram at at Professor underscore Rex. That's W-R-E-C-K-S. Until next time, remember to mix it up.